The specter of Cain and Abel is always among us. Just this week, I got an email from my mother, my hometown. There's been a murder that's actually made the national news. A 19-year-old college girl who was on the dance team at the local college was murdered, allegedly by a man who had been stalking her and other members of the dance team. Her parents and I went to high school together. Her mother used to stand behind me in high school choir. Her family's spiritual needs are being met, at least in part, by the Missouri Synod pastor there in town. They're not a member of my my old congregation, my parents' congregation. But the Missouri Synod pastor there's daughter knew this girl, and he knew the family. And so he's been leading some prayer vigils in the evenings for them, especially until they found her body. We'll be including the family and friends of Jody Sanderholm in our community prayers this morning. In 2004, people around Wichita, Kansas, just 40 miles north of where I grew up, became anxious because the BTK killer began talking to the media again. BTK meant bind, torture, and kill. And from 1974 until 1991, he had randomly been a serial murderer and had taken the lives of 10 people. He taunted authorities with his letters. Then he went silent for more than a decade. When he began to communicate with the media again, people became anxious because they thought he's going to start killing again. Then, in February 2005, when I was a pastor in a congregation about two hours north of Wichita, we got the good word. The police had captured BTK. He was no longer a threat. He had made the mistake of sending in a computer disk as his last letter, and they'd been able to trace his computer disk to a local church. He was a church-going man, a Lutheran president of his church council at the time. We were tempted to glibly say, well, at least he wasn't Missouri Synod Lutheran, but he had actually been baptized and raised in a Missouri Synod congregation. We never know for sure when the specter of Cain killing Abel will drop among us. Believe me, for weeks to come, my parishioners were asking questions like, how could a Lutheran man do something like this? Could this happen among us? Could God even forgive BTK for what he has done? When you ask the general public to recite the Ten Commandments, unfortunately most, even most Christians, can't recite more than a few of them. But the one that they do remember... Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not murder. It seems to be the commandment most ingrained in cultures throughout the world, despite the violent world we live in. It seems to be the commandment most written on our hearts. Luther's explanation for the fifth commandment, We should fear and love God so we do not hurt nor harm our neighbor in his body, but help and befriend him in every physical need. Which part of that is easier for us to keep here? I kind of assume that that first part isn't too difficult for most of us in this room. The vast majority here just don't struggle with that. I doubt that any of our prospective students are wanted for assault and battery. I don't think any of our current students are are being sought for manslaughter. I'm not aware that any of our faculty or staff 
are alleged murderers. Obviously, the first part of that commandment is easier to keep for most of us. We can avoid impulsively killing or hitting someone else. But I found that in parish ministry, I was actually tempted to break that second part of the commandment more as a pastor than I was during the 40 years I was a layman. You see, pastors get many people to just show up at their church or call into their church asking for help with food, for gas money to get on down the road, for some sort of place to stay. And believe me, those phone calls, those drop-offs, don't come when you're just sitting around in your office looking for something to do. They come at those times when you're frantically trying to prepare for the next sermon or the next funeral or the next Bible study or the next meeting or the next hospital visit. It's always tempting to say, I just can't help you right now, I'm too busy. It's always tempting to think, oh, they're probably just somebody who's trying to con the church out of money. But I'm convinced that the majority of those people were honestly looking for legitimate help. They are for us the fulfillment of Jesus' words in Matthew 25, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you visited me. Jesus went on to say, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. The Son of Man said these words just a few days before he allowed himself to become the victim of the most horrific murder of all time, his death on the cross for you and for me. The specter of Cain killing Abel is always with us. The blood of Abel calls to God from the ground. But now, Hebrews 12, Jesus' sprinkled blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Through Jesus' crucifixion, we are rescued from death itself. Through our baptism, we are drowned by Christ through our old Adam, and he makes us new in him. Through this new life, he continues now to reach out to a world that so badly needs to hear that gospel and to neighbors who need our physical help, to the families of victims of murder, and sometimes even to murderers themselves. And the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.